Well, hey, before we uh, go into our teaching time, just a little quick setup here. So uh, some of you may have seen, if you're on our church-wide email list, sent out an email last night that we had a bit of a COVID exposure. And you know the rules for all of that kind of stuff where, you know, if you were around somebody with COVID, people who are around them have to self-isolate for 10 days and get a the brain stick thing. And you have to, you know, take all those precautions and stuff. And so... Uh, Unfortunately, uh, there was a, a leader that was around a number of our staff members, uh, and including Pastor John, who's scheduled to preach today. And so as we found this out over the weekend, we're like, well, shoot, what do we do? And I thought, well, of course something weird would happen. It's John's turn to preach. Because if you might remember over the last year, like when we were meeting outside, uh, a cold nor'easter wind, like in the book of Acts chapter 27, blew in, and it was like 11 degrees outside, and Texas boy had to preach, you know, in like, you know, long johns in a parka. And then August came, and it was like the hottest day of the year, and he'd already adjusted to the cold Pacific Northwest, and it was like 143 degrees outside, and he had to preach. And then <laughs> just in February, when we had the enormous snowstorm, and we had to kind of cancel in person, that was John's week to preach. So I'm like, man, Lord, what's going to happen this week when John's preached? And then, of course, a COVID exposure. So we're going to do something that we've never done before at Sound City Bible Church. We actually uh, were able to yesterday pre-record his sermon, and so he'll be the overly tall guy on the screens here that you guys will get to listen, because I didn't want to just tag in and, and just take over. I really want you guys to hear the sermon that he's been preparing and seeking the Lord for. And so uh, for those of you who are joining us online, it's probably going to look just completely normal, other than he is a little bit higher above the podium than I am. Uh, for you in the, in the room, we're going to be enjoying uh, teaching of God's word via the screen. But just remember, uh, first of all, how blessed are we to be able to have this kind of technology to adjust and to flex? And the power is not in the person or even all of that. The power is in the word of God, right? So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Acts chapter 28. I'm going to invite Sarah to come, and she's going to do our scripture reading in both Spanish and English to once again remind us that the good news of the gospel is for all people of all languages under the sun. So Sarah, would you read for us? This is the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 28, starting with verse 25. Y como no estuvieron de acuerdo entre sí, al retirarse les dijo Pablo esta palabra, Bien habló el Espíritu Santo por medio del profeta Isaías a nuestros padres diciendo, Ve a este pueblo y diles, de oído oiréis y no entenderéis, y viendo veréis y no percibiréis, porque el corazón de este pueblo se ha engrosado, y con los oídos oyeron pesadamente, y sus ojos han cerrado, para que no vean con los ojos, y oigan con los oídos, y entiendan de corazón, y se conviertan, y yo los sane. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years his, at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Hi, church. Pastor John here. I have the privilege of getting to preach for you this morning out of the final section of the book of Acts. And uh, as we do it, I also have the privilege of getting to uh, have the oddest sermons possible, apparently. So I'm um, glad to be able to serve you in that way. But um, I would uh, like to go ahead and start off in Acts chapter 11, or uh, chapter 28, verse 11, is where we're going to be picking up. It's not the beginning of the chapter, but as we do, um, we need to recognize that this is now eight months that we have been studying the book of Acts. Eight months. 
And uh, that is a long time to study a book, but um, it is actually uh, a pretty fast-moving book. And as we begin the book of Acts here, uh, we really noted a, a key theme throughout the book of Acts that we have settled on and see, seen again and again, and we see now here as well. And that is that Jesus is king and everyone must know. In the ancient world, it was, it was uh, blasphemy in the Roman Empire to say that anybody else was king. And so here we see at the beginning, the very beginning of this book, that the, uh, the proclamation is there is another king and another kingdom. And that is what has been happening this whole time. And it's remarkable because in a 30-year span, Jesus' ascension essentially to Paul getting to this section in the book of Acts, Rome, that's a 30-year span. And in only 30 years, the gospel has gone out from Jerusalem in an upper room in an obscure part of the city, I'm sure, to now in the heart of the Roman Empire and shortly before the emperor himself. And so as we read, just keep that in mind that this has been a fast-moving book, a fast-moving pace, all with Jesus as king in mind. And I'll go ahead and read for you starting in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Putoli. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded them. So if you didn't know, this is the last part of Paul's life in the book of Acts. It extends past this book, but here we see the last stages of his journey, and he finally, finally makes it to Rome. And as Paul makes it to Rome, we see something uh, really key in this passage that we've also seen as a sub-theme throughout Acts, and that is boldness. There is boldness all over Acts, and uh, you won't see it on the screen, but just to read it for you, there is, there's a lot of boldness early on when the apostles, when, when Peter and John are arrested by the religious authorities, they capture them and they observe in Acts 4.13 the boldness of these men. And they marked that they were untrained, but that they had been with Jesus. Not only that, in Acts uh, 429, a little bit later, the disciples get together and James has been killed and uh, Peter is in prison and they say, Lord, we need boldness. And so they cry out in Acts 429, and now Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness again. And God answers that prayer and they're filled with boldness and the gospel goes out in Jerusalem. And not only that, here at the very end of the book in verse 31, it says that Paul, as he's being hospitable to people, was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
So we see that Jesus is king is the main theme in Acts, but we also see that boldness is a, a sub-theme that's really important. And um, we all have ideas about boldness or bold people that spring to mind when we hear that phrase. Uh, and for Paul, what we should have in mind is that Paul is somebody who, he, w- he was incredibly bold, shipwrecked, beaten, uh, a refugee, hunted, a man on the run, uh, someone convicted of a capital crime at this point in Rome's history. He is somebody who lived a bold life. But I'm sure that we also have people that come to mind that are not necessarily um, bold in the same kind of way. Normally when we hear or we think about somebody who's bold, we think of somebody who is uh, audacious, someone who is uh, forthright, somebody who uh, is bombastic. They like to say lots of loud uh, things and they communicate powerfully. But that is not necessarily the way that Paul was. In fact, we see in 2 Corinthians 10 that Paul is probably somebody who is, who is pretty reserved in person um, as he talks about his own letters being bold, but his, his physical form or his presence being much more subdued. So there's a kind of boldness that you and I have in mind, but it is not necessarily the boldness that we see in this passage or that we would see in Paul's life. And I think it's important to keep that in mind because um, the boldness that, that we can think about may not be the boldness that God actually desires for us to live in. And as I was thinking about that, a, uh, a, a phrase from C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia came to mind for me. And it was actually the, uh, the last book, it's The Last Battle. Um, there's a point when a couple characters are afraid about going into a stable room where this anti-Aslan character is supposed to be. Uh, and everybody's afraid about it. They won't, they won't cross the threshold. They won't go past the doors because they're terrified of the, the dark and what is behind this door. And as a couple characters are in there talking about it, one says to another, a little girl, but courage, child. We are all between the paws of the true Aslan. And uh, it might mean a little bit more to you if you've read the series, but uh, the point that Lewis is bringing out as he writes that is to say, what could happen to you? What, what could happen that Aslan, the king, wouldn't know about or wouldn't be able to control? And that is really a much more uh, biblical basis when it comes to, to boldness than our contemporary culture would say. It's not just about shouting the loudest or pushing your opinions um, or even physically being violent. I think that comes to mind for a lot, a lot of us. Uh, no, boldness is, is different when we see it in the Bible. And so um, I want to point out for you five things that are in this passage, uh, I think related to boldness. And we'll go pretty quickly. Um, but they all have to do with one main point, and that is that boldness for God comes through belief in Jesus. However you think about it, um, boldness, whether it's for Jesus or it's for something else, is rooted in a belief that exists about something. Uh, And for Paul, his belief in Jesus is what gave him the boldness that we see in this passage. And in this first section here, I want to draw your attention to 
verse 14, where it says that we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. Brothers and sisters is a theme that that also runs in this passage, uh, but it really relates to the first main point, which is this, that bold believers take courage in community. Bold believers take courage in community. You see, Paul has just traveled all over the world three times. This is his third missionary journey. And he comes here and he's gone through a shipwreck and all sorts of other stuff that we've recently read about. But by the time he gets to Rome now, he finds, surprisingly, a small group of believers just on the outskirts of Rome uh, and is, is quite delighted by it. And they invite him to stay. And so they stay. Um, and so it's important to know that Paul has a community and we see this in Paul's life that he normally has a traveling community. And we see that reflected in the text here where it says not that just Paul went and stayed with them, but using a a different pronoun, different language. We, as you see at the beginning that after, after three months, we set sail And uh, the language changes to we and us. That's because at this point in the journey, Luke has joined Paul again. And he's chronicling the narrative and uh, recording what's happening. But the point to draw out here is that Paul was seldom alone in his Christian life. Paul was seldom, he was seldom alone in his journey to spread the gospel throughout the ancient world. And I think the... uh, the application there is the same for us. That that's, that's how God has made the Christian life. That's how God has made life, period, for humans. Um, that we need community. But how much so for us when we are like Paul, going around and sharing the gospel. That we, we need the, the energizing effect. We need the bolstering effect of community. And that is really a, a key component of what is enabling Paul to be bold. Is that even when he's out there sharing the gospel, he can say, I have other people with me. So we need that as well. Second, we see here that Paul not only takes courage in community, but he's, he's bold uh, with suffering for the gospel. That bold believers suffer for the gospel. Let me read the next section for you. After three days of staying with them, he called together the leaders of the Jews then they had, uh, when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And after they examined me, they wanted to give me the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. And even though I had no charge to bring against my people... For this reason, I ask to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So we see that Paul finally gets to Rome. And he's finally doing what he's been wanting to do, which is tell people in Rome, particularly the Jews, always the Jews first, the gospel. And so Paul, under Roman guard, gives his defense. And if you want to sum up the last 10 chapters or so of the book of Acts... This, this section does it. Paul goes into a place, he speaks to the Jews, and he always has to say, I am, I am uh, persecuted, or I am imprisoned, or I have chains, and here's why. It's because of the hope of Israel, which you share. So let me explain that hope to you. 
And so Paul always gives his defense first, and he does that here. But more importantly, Paul moves on from his defense, saying, I'm not crazy, I'm not a lunatic, and I'm not a, uh, I'm not a criminal, or I shouldn't be. Rather, I am a witness. And think about this effect. If you had somebody in your life that uh, was incarcerated, uh, maybe they had an orange jump, jumpsuit on, and then they came to you, and they say, I'm wearing this jumpsuit. I've, I'm imprisoned because I have something to give you. And this is the only way I could get here. Wouldn't you be interested in that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be hanging on what he was about to say? Uh, you might, or you might just want to leave. And that's maybe what uh, these Jews were thinking. But instead of being able to go to the synagogue, he says, come to me and I will tell you. So that's what Paul does. And they come And as he begins telling them, um, he shares with them the sufferings that he has had to go go through to get to them. And this is an important point for us that, that Paul has lost basically everything to follow Jesus. And this is probably true for some of you. Some of you have, have lost things. Uh, probably most of us, not so much. But some of you have probably lost family members because of your belief in Christ and uh, your, your devotion to reading your Bible or to praying or to even coming to church this morning. There might be some people in your life who have cut you off because of your faith in Christ. I hope you hear that that's not the first time this has happened. It's happened for millennia and it will continue to happen until Christ returns. You're in good company. But we also need to see that it's not just these kind of extreme examples of being in chains or having our family cut us off, uh, but it's, it's any form of suffering like this that really gives us the opportunity as believers to step into somebody's life and say, I love you, and I'm for you, and I'm for Jesus. I love him. I would love to tell you about him and who he is and what he's done. You see, suffering in the Christian life actually serves to give us a witness to people. It gives us a platform. Uh, Like for the Jews here with Paul, they were able to say, Paul, we don't know who you are. You seem crazy, but you obviously have something that you deeply care about, and we want to know what that is. And so for us, I wonder, I wonder if we're as willing as Paul is to give up everything that we have. You see, Paul... Uh, is all in on this Jesus thing. And we should be too. Third thing we see here is in the next section, and that is that bold believers expound the kingdom and the king, or the king and his kingdom, as Paul talks about it. And so in response to this message by Paul in verse 21, they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. I guess he got off on that one. But we want to hear what your views are since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. So these people are just interested more in debate at this phase. In verse 23, it says, After arranging a day with them, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some 
were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Boy, were they in a surprise for Paul, weren't they? Uh, Little did they know that Paul could preach through the night so long that someone falls out of a window, dies, and comes back to life. Paul Paul is something to be uh, wrestled with here. And so he has the opportunity. They come to him. He shares the gospel. And as he does, this is one of the best places in the New Testament to see that it is not just Paul talking about a Jewish heritage. It is not Paul just talking about, uh, even on the more radical side, his belief in Jesus now. It is Paul talking about a combination of a king and his kingdom. And he does this, as we see, by speaking from both the law and the prophets. That's a shorthanded way of saying the entire uh, Hebrew Bible. Paul had a way of talking about God and it, about Jesus in particular, and it, it cost, it pertained to the entire Hebrew scriptures. And so um, for us, we see that, that the Christian life is pretty complex. It's pretty uh, permeating. I think a lot of times in, uh, in explaining the gospel or, or explaining about Jesus, it's very easy to just focus on one thing or one piece. For instance, um, in uh, a lot of where I come from in Texas, a big, a big uh, kind of you know, ditch to fall into is that when sharing the gospel, the only thing that you ever talk about is Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's it. But Paul does a lot more than that here, doesn't he? He talks about Jesus from the law and the prophets, also including the Psalms and all the writings, all that literature. Um, But he's not just talking about Jesus and what he did. He's talking about his kingdom. And this is a critical part for us to keep in mind. Uh, Any any kind of justice issues you can imagine pertain to the kingdom. And this is what Jesus did as he came, preaching the kingdom of God. That, that the kingdom of God is a way of saying that it is life with God under the rule of God. There is not just one corner of your life as a Christian that is, uh, that is supposed to be devoted to Jesus. It permeates your entire life. And so that's what keeps Paul talking for 18 or 20 hours here is the king and his kingdom. It is a world bending view, world shaping view that these people have never thought about or heard of before. And that involves expounding or explaining. And that's what we see here is Paul's he's explaining and expounding. He's, he's saying, Uh, comes from a a Greek word that really means two things, to put and out. Paul puts it out. He says, there there is a king and a kingdom and all the scripture about this, Adam and Eve and all the prophets. And he puts it out there for public discussion. And that's what we have to do as well as believers. Not be afraid to just put the gospel truth out. That there is a king who reigns over over everything. His name is Jesus and he will one day come again. We need to be able to expound or explain the truth of the gospel and the truth of scriptures like Paul does. Number four, in the next section here, we see that bold believers confront unbelief. So Paul is talking with these Jews, having a great long conversation 
And then we read in verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. So what do you think the one statement is after 18, 20 hours of talking that sends them home? Paul didn't pull any punches here. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they may see with your eyes their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. And Luke says, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. It's an incredible thing to see such a bold behavior by Paul. This is another pitfall. I think when it comes to the Christian life and sharing the gospel with people, It's really easy to sit down and have coffee with people and explain like we need to do, like we see Paul doing, reasoning with people and trying to convince them. But at the same time, uh, there should come a point, there should come a very sharp point in our conversations with people. Uh, And it doesn't have to be rough. It doesn't have to be boisterous. But to say, do you believe these things? And, and to call out unbelief. You see, unbelief is at the core of the issue here with these Jews, and it is for everybody. Unbelief, uh, we see in this passage, really has two parts to it. The first part, we could say, is passive. As Paul quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, uh, he quotes a section where God is saying to his own people, um, his very own people, these people actually, that they have an inability in different ways to receive his commands, to hear him and to love him. He says that they are, uh, they're deaf. He says they're blind, they're callous, they can't feel. And that is a passive element to sin. That sin affects us in such a way that there are consequences that we have just being born into this world that we don't even understand. That the scriptures tell us that we are actually spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. And being dead, we can't respond to God's words. We can't respond to God's heart. And it's passive. It's a situation we're in. We're born with this condition. But at the same time, uh, there's a little bit of a change in that passage to say it's, it's also more than that. So it's not like any one of us could go around saying, well, I don't love God because I don't want to. No, actually, there's a very active part in this. You see, halfway through, it changes from saying that uh, it's a condition where it's just you're blind and you're deaf. These people, you're calloused. Towards later on, saying that the hearts of these people has grown callous. And their ears are hard of hearing, that they've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is not just a a passive, I don't care about God kind of situation. This is an active, I hate God. In fact, God is offering healing here, and the people in this passage say, I don't want that healing. Not if it comes from you. 
And this is the heart of the Jews that Paul is talking to. And so he sees the unbelief and it is nasty and he calls it out. But it's the same unbelief that operates in every single one of our hearts. All the way back into the garden, if you think about Genesis 3, what's going on. At the core of it, there's a desire for Adam and Eve to become their own gods to where they say, God, I know that you have said something for me, but I think I know better. And behind that is a heart of unbelief that says, God has told me what is good. God has given me what is good, but yet I will choose differently because I don't believe at the core of who I am that God actually loves me, that God actually has good for me. And this, this is a very sensitive issue, but it is at the core of who we are as people. When we disbelieve somebody in our family, you disbelieve your spouse, that your spouse, your spouse actually loves you, you're going to have a hard time receiving encouragement. If you actually don't believe that your kids love you, you're going to have a hard time trusting them or other people in your life. And this is all the more profound with God. That at the heart, there is an issue of a lack of belief. And so Paul sees it and he calls it out straight to them because he knows them and he loves them. And he was the same way. And so we see that in our own lives that we need this kind of language. Whether it's just for other people to say, you need to believe this gospel. You have to believe this gospel. And the reason you're not is because you're saying, I don't want to believe it. We need to be able to talk like that to other people, but we also have to be able to talk like that to ourselves, don't we? That when we see areas of unbelief in our own hearts, that we say, no, wait, remember, the Savior crucified, risen on my behalf. We have to be able to address our own unbelief and other people's unbelief. And so I I wonder for you, have you ever plainly confronted disbelief in sharing the gospel? It was a normal part of Paul's life and conversation and it should be ours as well. And last, fifth, we have here in the last few verses that bold believers persevere. Bold believers persevere. Let me read that for you. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and he welcomed all who visited him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So great news. We see that at the end of Acts here, Paul has finally reached Rome and he's sharing the gospel. And some people believe, which is great news. And he's able to continue doing it. And he does it boldly and without any hindrance. Great news. But if you have ever read through Acts before, or maybe now you're seeing it, there's kind of a mixed bag at the end of Acts to where when you're, you're reading it and you're going through it, it's almost anticlimactic. It, it certainly leaves something to be desired. Here we have been following the apostles in their lives 
and everything that happens with them. Some of them uh, are, are beheaded. Some of them uh, die quickly. All of them end up being martyred for their faith. Uh, but then we focus over to Paul and we see his life and he goes through these tremendous ups and downs in the Christian life, uh, being persecuted. And finally, this, this climactic point of getting to Rome. And uh, if this were any kind of contemporary uh, you know, uh, story for a movie, it would be that Paul gets to Rome. He ends up meeting the emperor. He shares the gospel with the emperor. The emperor believes and now everyone believes. And that is not what happens at the end of Acts. In fact, what we see is Paul just keeps at it. Two years, at least. He's going, going, going. He's, he's inviting people over to his house. He's being hospitable, hospitable, even for probably the people who rejected him. And he continues preaching or proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a lot of perseverance that we can see in Paul's life here. And we know from church history that it doesn't stop just here. It actually goes on uh, in church history that after these two years, what happens is Paul is set free for a short period of time. And then he is imprisoned again. And that's when we get the epistles with Timothy and Titus. And as he's out uh, free and then imprisoned after that, he does eventually get to the emperor. And there's a new emperor by the time he goes to see him with the name of Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, he was the great, uh, great slaughterer of Christians in his day. And so he ends up killing Paul. And Paul is martyred for his faith. And he finally does accomplish his goal of appealing to Caesar and trying to share the gospel with Caesar. And so when we see that, and, and you know what's happening historically, you look at the end of Acts and you say, man, this is so great, almost. Um, that's, that's the temptation at least, but it's, that's not the way that Luke wrote the story. And we have to remember that Luke is somebody as he's writing, who actually has his own, uh, his own motives in writing. He's crafting this narrative. He's trying to communicate something. And as he gets to the end of Acts, I think Luke's point in ending the way that he does is to realign our attention back to the hero of the story which is not Paul. It's Jesus. You see, when we get to the end of Acts and we see what's happening with Paul, uh, we're, we're somewhat tempted to put our confidence or even our faith in Paul. But that's not what Luke does. He knows that, that the gospel must go forward. People must hear about Jesus such to the degree that even we have heard over here on this side of the world 2,000 years later. And there is, there is more to take confidence in and more fuel to persevere than just seeing Paul's life. And we see it in a phrase that Paul says at the end here, we skipped over it, but he says at the end of verse 28, after, after reading this passage, three words that I'm sure he just took with him to the end of his days. They will listen. It's a glorious truth. I feel like I need to get a tattoo or something. They will listen. That's what Paul sees at the end. He takes this, uh, what many people would consider discouraging section of scripture, talking about people not believing, not heeding, not obeying, not loving God. And he takes it and interprets it and turns it to say, but some will. 
In fact, they will listen, the Gentiles. And if you're here today and you believe Paul was dead on, wasn't he? They will listen. And so in the Christian life, we have to have this as our, as, as our vision. Jesus has an agenda to bring people from every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nation to him to worship him, and he will accomplish it. In God's plan, it's as good as done. And Paul knew this, and it was a serious source of encouragement for him and, and led to his boldness to be able to step in and say, regardless of what happens, they will listen. I may die, but they will listen. And so we need to keep Paul in mind here. And we need to to say and come along with him that God will do it. God will do it. He will save people with our foolishness, with our with our foolish attempts at sharing the gospel, with our um, with our lack of confidence, with our lack of boldness. God will save. And so we tell, we witness, we convince, and we expound. But we need to keep in mind that Paul is not our model. Even though he's a model, he is not the model. When we look at Jesus with these sorts of things, we see that Jesus was the boldest person that has ever lived or will ever live in all of creation. Somewhat comparing with what we see in this passage, we see that Jesus, when he didn't want to take the cup of suffering in the garden that he found courage in his father's company or his father's community didn't he that although he did nothing wrong he suffered for humanity and said father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing paul suffered to be able to present a gospel message but jesus suffered so that we would have a gospel message In his earthly ministry, Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God is upon you. Not Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is upon you. Jesus brought with him the kingdom of God. Jesus also, he refused to be intimidated by the ruling powers of the day and instead confronted their hypocrisy and their unbelief. Nobody was stronger at doing that than Jesus. And in accomplishing his mission, he persevered through unjust trials, ridicule, beatings, and crucifixion. There has not ever been anyone who has suffered more than King Jesus to accomplish his mission. Jesus is our model. And he's the one that we should look to. As a church, may we have strength May we have the strength of our belief in Jesus be evident in the boldness of our lives for him. And there are are five takeaways, five things that we can talk about here. Number one, for you in being bold, be connected to a community, a local church, a serve team that we have. That is going to propel your own boldness. Number two, Rejoice in your sufferings, knowing that you share in Christ's sufferings. We have a great cloud of witnesses with us in suffering for the gospel. Number three, explain the gospel to someone, just somebody. 
That's what we see Paul doing all the time. And it's what Jesus said, that our job is to throw out the seed. God will give the growth. Number four, don't shy away from confronting disbelief. It's so easy to do in conversation. It's so easy for ourselves. But we need to be able to step in and say, this really exists. This unbelief is ugly. It exists and it needs to be confronted with God's grace. And number five, that we need to continue in perseverance and in particular hospitality. This is what Paul does at the end of his life, continuing to serve people all his days. Church, may we be bold like Paul, but more importantly, like Jesus in all these ways. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your gospel. We thank you for how you moved in Paul's life and Luke's to record these stories for us. And we thank you that we are, we are inducted in into this great story as well. That Acts 28 does not end the story. It goes on and we are a part of it. Lord, would you give us boldness to play our part, to play our role as so many people have done before. Until we see you face to face, we ask in your son's name. Amen.